You know, we could probably spend another month in this series of American Idols. Uh, there's plenty of them, and we're going to conclude the series today, though. Uh, we've got Thanksgiving coming up and Christmas coming up and so many other things we want to talk about over the next few months. Uh, but we're going to wrap this up. And, and this is what we know. This is what we know. There's only one true God, okay? Look at the person next to you and say, there's only one God. Go ahead and tell them. Yeah, there's only one God. And again, if you're visiting with us, get used to it. I do this on occasion. You know, a lot of times you go to church, like, shh, don't talk, okay? It's okay when I tell you to go ahead and repeat. It's all right. You can do that. You can look at your neighbor and say whatever I'm asking you to say. Okay, there's only one God, right? Problem is, is that there's other gods that try to creep in and fight for what's going on in our hearts. That's where God wants to reign, only one true God, okay? And we discover that God's given us a command, and he says, Thou shalt not have any other gods but me. Go all the way back to Moses coming down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and the very first command is no other gods. God said it straight right from the beginning. Listen, there's no other gods, just me, okay? Let's make that clear. Matter of fact, then you move forward into the New Testament, and you have these religious, religious leaders come along and say, Hey, what's the most important command? I know there was 10 original ones, and then, of course, we added on hundreds, all kinds of great things, right? So what's the greatest command? Jesus said, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Coming back to that very first command, no other gods. There's just one. And you love him with everything you got. But here's the thing. We know there's a battle that's taking place every day in our hearts because God wants that place in our heart, but so does everything else around us. So these false gods creep into our life and battle with the only one true God who is relentlessly pursuing us with love, and they battle. And here's the deal. The winner controls our destiny. Why don't you think about this? Whatever God is in your heart controls your destiny. The choices you make, the decisions you make, the places you go, the things you do. Okay. Now, you might sit there and say, but that seems a little irrelevant, really, like I've got a false God in my life. And let's back up a second. Right now, whatever sin it is that you're struggling with, because here's the deal, we're all sinners, okay? I'll be the first to say it for me. I, I sin. I mess up, as well as you, okay? So I'm going to go back to the root of my sin, the sin that I struggle with. What is at the root of that sin? It's a false god battling for my heart. So whatever sin it is that I'm struggling with, there's a false god saying, here's why you're struggling, this is why you're dealing with it, because it wants control of my heart. Okay? So that's why idolatry is discussed so much in the Bible, that all gods have to be dethroned so that the one true God can have its proper throne, his proper throne in our heart. And today's idol is the God of me. Not Rex, the God of me, okay? Everybody take your first finger right here, your pointer finger, right? Everybody got it? Everybody got it? Good. Some of you are like, I got down here a little. That's all right. You can keep it low. I don't care. Yeah. All right? You're going to take that and just point it at your heart. Put it at you right there. The God of me. That's the God we're dealing with today. Okay? Uh, Self-portraits are nothing new, right? Artists have been dealing with self-portraits for centuries. Uh, however, those artists weren't producing 10 portraits an hour and uh, posting them for instant voting results. Okay? Uh, I'm talking about selfies. This is the age of the selfie. What day, you know, you, you see it on Facebook, different place. What day is a uh, selfie? Selfie what? Sunday? Is it selfie Sunday? Have you ever heard that before? I thought I've heard that before. I sort of thought it's funny because Sunday's the Lord's day. 
but we make it Selfie Sunday, Selfie Sunday, you know, so I think, oh, that's a little battle there, just a side note, okay, that's not in the notes, it just hit me, okay. Okay, so selfies, this is sort of the age of selfie, and uh, here's the problem. We got young boys and young girls, and even old boys and old girls, okay, um, posting provocative pictures of themselves, desperate for attention, possibly, uh, and it's enough to make a lot of parents wish social network never existed, okay. Um, one of the saddest realities, and I've discovered this, is that high school girls will remove their post, their picture, their selfie off of social media, whether uh, it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever it may be, if they don't get 100 likes. Now, maybe you've heard about that story and have sort of checked it around and it is true and you see that a lot of girls like, I don't get enough likes, so they take it off. This is what one high school girl said, it validates me. If I get 100 likes, it validates my worth. If I don't get 100 likes, then I'm not worth. I have no value. That's sad. It's an unfortunate state. Matter of fact, we've got a couple selfies here. These are selfies gone bad. By the way, don't research them, okay? They're just bad. Let's throw the first one up there, okay? A little hard to see. Maybe we get the uh, lights for just a second here. I don't know what happened to them. Okay, just squint and look, okay? Um, that up there, he's sort of... Um, it's at a funeral, okay? Not a good place to do a, a selfie. Like, it's probably more of a time of mourning, and he's like, hey, hang loose, whatever. Okay, next selfie. Um, after you rob a store with guns, okay, that, that was a gun that he stole, okay? He robbed a store of these guns, and then he did a selfie of himself with the gun. And then the FBI caught him. <laughs> Not a good idea if you're going to steal something to post. Okay, next picture. That's a selfie right there, and in the background, there's a teacher back there in the chair. She's about ready to have a baby. They're calling right now for the ambulance to come pick her up. Not a great time for a selfie, okay? Another bad timing selfie. Let's put another one up there. Yeah, you get pulled over by a cop, probably not a good opportunity for a selfie, but this guy's like, hey, I just got pulled over. Check this out. Driving too fast. Okay, next one and last one. Um, he probably should be putting out the fire, not taking a picture of himself with the fire. But again, that's a selfie, right? Okay, we're good. We're done with the selfies. You can go and take those off. Here's the point. There's a lot of selfies going on. Some good, some bad, some fun. I'm not down on selfies this morning. Everybody hear that? Okay, everybody hear that? It's like, Rex, didn't you post a selfie the other day? I probably did. I don't know. Okay. I'm not down on selfies. What I'm saying is this is a selfie generation. And the problem with the selfie is, is when people use that to validate their value and say, I'm putting that out there. I want some likes. If I don't get the likes, I guess I don't have value or worth. That's not true, is it? We know in Ephesians 2.10, it says what? For we are God's masterpiece, his creation, created for good works to fulfill his purpose. We are created by the God of this universe, period. That's enough value in itself. We don't, I don't need you to like me to make me feel valued. I already am valued. The problem is, is a lot of young people today think they're only valued if people like their pictures, their posts, their selfies. You know, it's hard enough to have the feeling that you're not liked by others, particularly in middle school and high school, but then imagine having these calculable results that you can result how many, or see how many people actually do like you. In the stage of identity development, we don't need that. And after posting a picture, you know, the question they're waiting to see is, what's my value? Every time somebody likes me, I feel a little more valued, and every time somebody doesn't like me, I feel less valued, and you're on this roller coaster of value, right? The God of me screams and cries out for validity and saying, show me I'm valuable, show me I'm worth something. 
The God of me just wants more of that. Proverbs eleven twelve says this, when pride comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. Another proverb, 16, 18 says, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Now think this through. We got the football guys right in, right in front of me here, okay? You do the pride push-ups at the end, okay? So you know how to spell it, right? Okay? Real, real quick, one of, one of you guys spell it out for me. I want you guys to do push-ups right now. No, I'm just kidding, okay? <laughs> Congratulations. Keep up the good work, by the way. P-R-I-D-E, right? Okay. So we know the word pride is spelled P-R-I-D-E. What's the middle letter in the word pride? I. Look at the word sin, S-I-N. What's the middle letter in sin? I. Um, hmm. Ever wonder that maybe in the midst of sin, it's when it's all about me and myself and I, we fall into more sin and struggle? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love this time of the year because it cools off. I love the fall. I don't like the cold, cold, okay? This is still a little too early to be really freezing right now, okay? But what I do love about it is, besides the different sports and change and, and the leaves and all that kind of stuff, is, is soup, okay? Any soup fans in here? Raise your hand. Soup fans. Woo! Okay, we need to have a soup day in here, like a Sunday soup day, okay? Like a Super Bowl Sunday where we bring in soup and we just have an awesome lunch together, okay? Um, here's the deal. When I go, like, for instance, when I go into Panera Bread and I walk up to the counter, I don't say, I would like a bowl of broccoli and carrots and nutmeg Mix in some cream and some cheddar cheese, crusty bread, flour, water, um, and just stir it around a little bit in there. No, I don't come up and I don't order the individual ingredients. There's like 11 ingredients in the broccoli cheddar cheese soup. I know, I like it, okay? I taste every one sometimes, okay? But I walk up, I don't order that individually. What I do is I walk up and I say, can I have a bowl of broccoli cheddar cheese soup? Because I ask for the whole bowl. I don't ask for the individual ingredients, right? Now, unless you're really different and freaky weird, okay, you probably don't do that either. You order the one thing. You don't order the separate ingredients, right? Here's the thing. Each ingredient that goes into that bowl is just the right amount. Not too much salt and pepper and not too little flour. Not too much broccoli and not too little carrot. It's got to be the right amount. It's got to be the right ingredients with the right amount of each ingredient. I can't have too much of one and too little of another. It's got to be the right amount. You follow me on this one? Okay. But here's the thing. It's the same way with us as a church, as a team. If you're in the band, you're in the choir, you make up a team. You make up a body. It's the body of Christ here this morning. The thing is we can't have too much of one person and too little of another person because you are all ingredients as well and we come together to make something incredible. The problem is, is when one ingredient wants to stand out among all the other ingredients and toot their horn louder than everybody else. That's a problem, right? That's where that problem of me jumps in. Now turn to Genesis chapter 3, hopefully you're there. Okay. Genesis chapter 3. Kids, here's the first picture I want you to draw. I want you to draw an incredible tree and a snake. Genesis chapter 3, because we're going back to the very beginning here in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, and let's start in verse 1. Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all creatures, that snake. 
all the creatures that the Lord had made. Really, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any fruit in the garden? So you picture that snake there amongst all the trees. Okay. And of course, we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden we're not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it or even touch it, but she never said that, or we'll die. Verse 4. Oh, you won't die, serpent hissed. God knows your eyes will be opened when you eat it. You will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. Oh, that shrewd snake. The first temptation the devil came along with in the garden with Adam and Eve as he slithers his way in there and talks about what you can and cannot do. He brings that question and whispers it into Adam and Eve and says, look at verse 4 again. You won't die, the serpent is. God knows your eyes will be open when you eat it. You'll become just like God, knowing everything, good and evil. Sort of whispers into the ear, hey, why serve when you can rule? You'll be just like God. You know good and evil. You know all these things. You have everything all around here to be your own God, right? Why do you need that one God? That first whisper. You know, for us, every day could be like a walk in the garden. As we walk through life, we sort of have the same choice. Will I worship God and find that place in the universe that he has arranged for me and my purpose in this planet? Or will I worship me? So I can decide how I can come up with a better life than what the creator of all this world has designed for me. Hmm. Every day we have that whisper into our ears. Listen to God. Take it on your own. Choose to do what God wants me to do. Make it call myself. You and I have to choose. And here's the thing. God doesn't want to share us with anybody. God doesn't want to share with us. Let's back up some of our former messages we talked about. We talked about Joshua. And in Joshua 24, he said this. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. Choose. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Fast forward to Elijah, a prophet, who's up on the mountain with Mount Carmel. And they're going to have this big contest between Baal and God and he talks to all the people and he says hey you choose this day who's it going to be the one and only true God or Baal you choose let's fast forward a little bit more in time Jesus is talking to a rich young ruler he wants to know hey what does it take to get into heaven what's the greatest command what about all that I have and Jesus says mm, you're going to have to choose too you're going to have to choose too between the things in your hands and the God of this universe, which one are you going to choose? All through the Bible, you're going to find it. Choose, choose. You've got to choose. You've got to choose. Choosing our way, we think, usually leads to pleasure and happiness. I'm going to do it my way. Uh, I can't sing the song. You know, I'm going to do it my way. But if I could, I would. But I won't. I'll spare you. But that's sort of the way it is. I did it my way, right? Eventually, we discover, though, that we're in a state of depression and pain. Why do I feel this way? I thought if I made the choice and I was strong on this one and I would go forward and 
but why am I not feeling that way? Well, because maybe that was your way and not God's way. When you go against God's way, you're not going to feel good about it. See, God is not this cosmic cop. A lot of us picture him to be. Up above, just zapping us whenever, okay? He's not some strict authoritative, I don't know, dictator that's up above saying, do this, do this, do this. He's not a cosmic killjoy. Oh, Christians are smiling again. Wipe that off their face. Right now, look at the person next to you. Give them the meanest look you can. Go ahead, give it to them. Give them a mean look, okay? And you all look back at me and you're smiling. That's awesome because usually people come to church and they're all frowny face, which I don't understand. You get to come worship the God of the universe today with other Christian brothers and sisters. You get to get away from the worries and the cares of this world. And we walk into church and we're like, I'm sorry we cramped your style today. Uh, we should have brought in lazy boys. I don't know. A remote you know what? We're going to start putting a remote control in every man's hand when they walk into church. That way they at least feel some kind of security when they're in here, right? But what is it, you know? God's not a cosmic killjoy. He wants us to smile. He wants us to laugh. He wants us to experience true joy. Sometimes we get caught up in our own stuff and we end up losing that. He loves us. Over 150 times in the New Testament, he's referenced as Father. A relentless Father with a relentless love for us. And he chases after us, not like a cop, okay? He's not running you down to, to lock you up. He's running you down to tell you he loves you. So here's the choice. I know that there is a Lord God, master of all creation. I know that. I also know that there's a God of me. And the God of me is a pretender to the throne. Whom will I choose? You ask the same question. You know that there's the Lord, God of all creation, master of this universe. And you know there is also the God of you who fights for the throne. Whom are you going to choose? So this is what we're going to do. I, I believe many of us would never believe that we've replaced God with a God of me. I, I believe a lot of us in this room would sit there and say, I don't think I'm that way. I, re I really don't. I don't think the God of me is a big God. Okay, so we're just going to do a little test. Okay, a little evaluation. I went through this list. I failed on a couple of them. Okay, I'm not going to tell you which ones. I might tell you one, but as I went through it, it's like, wow, the God of me has risen up at times and it needed to be dethroned. So I'm going to give you the same test, okay? Here's the first one. Check for arrogance. Check for arrogance. Is it your way always the right way? If, if you walk around thinking, I'm always right, my way is the best way. I mean, I like listening to your way, but really, my way is better than yours. Sorry. <laughs> you want to be listening? Okay, Rex said to listen to other people, see what they think. Yeah, I'm listening. Okay. No, my way is still better. Sorry. Uh, check for arrogance. Check for arrogance. When it comes to listening to the wisdom and advice of others, uh, how are you doing that? Are you like, no, forget it. Uh, my way is the best way. Um, you, maybe you get in arguments a lot, and you always have to win an argument because you're always right. Okay? Check for arrogance. Here's the second thing to check for. Check for insecurity. Okay? Uh, it's being consumed with what others think about you. Okay? Terrified that you know, you're going to try something new and failing? Because I don't want to fail. I don't want other people to look at me and see me as a failure. Um, so you're a little terrified to try new things. Uh, again, because of what other people think about you, you're sort of consumed with that. It's, it's again, it's even that thing of, well, are they going to like this picture I just posted or what I had to say? Or, um, boy, I wonder how I look today. Oof. I tried ironing the shirt like three times. It's still wrinkled, and I was really scared to get up in front of you today because of that. Insecurity, right? 
Check for insecurity. Check for defensiveness. Have you ever had someone slightly suggest a change or loosely criticize you of something you did and you find yourself blowing up or getting overly upset? <laughs> okay, this is my one confession. This is where I failed. Okay. I know there's been times here at this church when somebody has said something to me and I thought, I, man, this is the way we're running it, this is the way we're going to do it, and they suggested something to me. And, I, and it wasn't that I didn't like them. It wasn't that I, I didn't think they were wrong. I, I, just, I just didn't like me being wrong. Um, I, you know, again, when, when you're God, you have to be perfect. Right? And no one else could possibly criticize you, right? problem is when you're in leadership or when you're running something or you're in charge of something, you'll probably face criticism. It's just a part of the way it is. And if you find yourself being defensive a lot, this could be an indicator that you are God. And I apologize for the times that I've done it because I know I've done that with various people maybe in the church or outside of church where it's like, no, I'm right. So I get a little defensive. I, and I walk away from that thinking, I don't think I was defensive. And I start questioning myself. Oh, boy. Am I, I, I hope I was, because I don't think I was. And somebody said, did you see your face? No, I didn't see my I can't. I don't have a mirror in front of me. I couldn't see my face. Was my face, like, crunchy or something? You know? You know what I'm saying? So there's times I know that I've probably been that way, and I shouldn't be. So you check for defensiveness. Here's another one. Check for loneliness. Maybe you can't handle equals. Maybe you don't like people above you in authority, Okay. You need people who constantly reaffirm that it's all about you. You like those people around you because they elevate you, they talk about you, and it feels good. And uh, Again, it's seeing the likes on social media. It's not again that you're liked. And, and because if you don't have that, then you're feeling a little lonely. You don't like that. Here's another one. Check for selfish gain. If you don't get something you want, were you upset with those people who did get it? You know what I'm saying? I really wanted to get this, but they got it instead. I'm really upset at them right now. That's called selfish gain. Check for that. So again, I'm giving you a bunch of ideas here, little evaluation check mark type things. Go through. Did any of those ring a bell with you? Did any of them strike a chord? Did any of you like sort of squirm in your seat and say, oh, I can see myself being that way? You checked for arrogance. You checked for insecurity, defensiveness, loneliness, selfish gain. If you've got any of those issues right there, and you sort of say, yeah, I can see myself being that way, then guess what? There are times then when you are worshiping the God of you. As I just shared, I've worshiped the God of me at times. Okay. Ezekiel 28.2 says this. In your great pride, you claim, I am God. I sit on a divine throne in the heart of the sea. But you're only a man, not a God. Though you boast, you are a God. There's at times our flesh just sort of reaches up. Maybe we don't proclaim we're being a God, but we are. And God says, you're only a man. You're only a woman. You are not God. Old Testament, God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah. He makes this case against his people. And kids, if you've got another opportunity to draw something here, draw me a well, like a, like a pit. It's called a cistern, okay? And right next to it, draw a river flowing river, okay? So you got a pit and a, that's a well, okay? And a, and a flowing river. Uh, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. It's the Old Testament. Get past Psalms and Proverbs. Isaiah and then get to Jeremiah. 
A while back, we had uh, briefly hit on this passage, Jeremiah chapter 2. I want to re return to it and read a little bit more. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, God's speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and it's really against the case of his people. And he's looking at his people and saying, here's my people, and this is what's going on. Okay, so help you out here. Verse uh, 11 says this of chapter 2. Has any nation ever exchanged its gods for another god, even though its gods are nothing? God's sort of throwing that question out there, and he goes this. He says, yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. I want to stop for a second. You want to know what God and the angels and all of heaven thinks about us worshiping other idols? You know, sometimes I think of heaven, it's like there's no fear, right? All victorious, mighty angels marching around, God, the Heavenly Father, Son, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, you know, the Trinity just sort of working through all this, and up in heaven there's this glorious thing. And, but listen to what happens here. Read that verse again. The heavens are shocked. You picture a shocked angel's face? They shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. I can't picture heaven being that way. I can't picture the angels being that way. And maybe God is just using figurative speech here, saying we don't really do that, but that's how we feel. Look at verse 13. For my people have done two evil things. He nails them out here. Listen very carefully. One, they've forsaken me. They've abandoned me, okay? To the fountain of living water. And they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. So he says there's two things. I'm going I'm I'm to summarize the rebellion of your sins. Here, here's the two things. First of all, you rejected God. You abandoned him. And then you turned to these, these worthless idols. You dug for yourselves these cisterns. Okay? He explains that when we put ourselves on the throne instead of God, we reject God. Okay? And we dig our own broken cisterns out of to drink out of instead of fresh living water. Now let me explain the cistern system, okay? Uh, again, rain was scarce in these areas. Maybe about rain's about half the year. So the people in those days would, would dig these big cisterns, like you, like you picture like a well, okay? So they dig deep, then they put plaster and rock around the sides and bottoms and try to hold in any kind of rainwater, any other water that comes through they can find, they put in there. That's what's going to hold their drinking water, their water for their animals, whatever they need that water for. Here's the problem. Plaster cracks. Cisterns leak. They break. Oh, and they're also stagnant water. Not very fun to drink, right? So it seems a little ridiculous to suggest here is a broken cistern full of, you know, let's say full because it's broken, it's leaking, okay? But it has stagnant water in it. And here's a flowing river. Maybe some of you kids have drawn that. You drew the flowing river and you drew the cistern. Anybody draw that? You guys got one? Can I see it? You're not done? That's a great start. Check this out. So that's the cistern right there, right? Excellent. And the flowing river. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Nice job. Nice job. 
So if you had a choice, which would you drink from? Which would you drink from? But that's a great picture of idolatry. You have something flowing and fresh, and you have something stagnant and leaking. What would you pick? And what God is saying here is, all of heaven is shocked and in horror and dismay that you would choose a broken cistern of stagnant water instead of a fresh-flowing river. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? We look to something or someone to do what God has said I would do for you. Matter of fact, let's review the different gods we've talked about, okay? For comfort, we can choose God or we can choose food and mindless entertainment. For significance, we can choose God or we can choose careers and accomplishments. For security, we can choose God or we can choose money and investments for that security. How about joy? For joy, we can choose God or we can choose family and friends. For hope, we can choose God or we can choose the politicians and the policies of this world. Finally, how about truth? We can choose God or we can choose popular, popular opinion and academic consensus. And the thing is, it's not like we're choosing evil stuff, right? Family's not evil, right? Amen? You're sitting next to family. You better give a big amen. Some of these things are not evil, right? Like family. Amen? amen. Good. And if you didn't say it, I'm sorry. We need to talk afterwards about family issues, okay? Come next week. We'll deal with it, okay? Um, Food, good stuff. Family, good stuff. Your careers, the things you pursue, that's all good, right? Those are good things. The problem is, again, when we put those on the throne and we move God off. Okay? God may use them to accomplish His purpose, but the question is, have they become a broken cistern for us? Have we placed all of our hope in those things that really is not going to work? The God of me always leaves us disappointed and disillusioned. And God longs for us to look at him as the living water. Remember when Jesus went to visit the woman at the well? Disciples went off to go get some food in town. And he sits down and hears this woman, Samaritan, top it off with. And you don't, they don't, Jews and Samaritans didn't connect. They don't talk. Big, you know, racist issue going on here. And then you throw in the fact that she's a woman who's not supposed to talk to her and, public like the way he was, and has this conversation with her. Remember that conversation? Can I have a drink of water? She's like, you're asking me to get you a drink of water? She gives him, you know, she's going to give him that drink, and but Jesus goes on to say that I'm the living water. Once you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. And she tried to hide her past, right? She goes, well... My husband, you know, isn't around. Well, that's right. And you're five, you've actually been married five times, and the man you're with right now is not your husband. And she's like, you're truly a prophet. She tried to change the subject, right? And he went on to explain to her, I'm the living water. I'm the one that's going to give you the satisfaction. I'm the one that needs to be the God in your throne of your heart. And when she accepted that living water, she went off as happy as could be. Back to town, brought the whole town back with her. Because that's what God wants. He wants us to choose the living water, not a stagnant water from a broken cistern. Maybe to help you understand this a little bit more, let's, let's, let's pretend this. I'm going to pick on my son, Clay. Clay, Clay, don't get nervous, okay? 
But we're going to say this. Let's say uh, after church today, um, we're going to go out to eat and we'll go to uh, somewhere for a steak, go to a steakhouse after church, okay? And we're going to order Clay's first steak. He's never had a steak before. Let's just pretend, okay? So we're sitting there and get to the restaurant, order up a steak. I'm, 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 as a father, I, you know, it's one of those proud moments as a dad, certain things your kids do. My son's eating steak. No more chicken nuggets. No more dollar menu. Steak. You are a man. This is manhood. So they, they bring out this sizzling steak on a plate, and they set it right in front of Clay, and I'm going, oh, you know, that's going to be good. I know he's been having some rolls because he likes the rolls they put out there and that honey butter type. That, that, oh, that was good too. But save room, son, save room. A few appetizers came out, save room, son. You know. But here comes that steak, and he looks at it, and I can't help but get a smile on my face because I see him cutting into that steak and thinking, this is going to be so good for him, okay? Clay looks at it, gets his napkin, puts it on his lap, and he reaches in his pocket pulls out a piece of old beef jerky, some lint on it. I have no idea what else is sticking to it, but it doesn't look good. Matter of fact, it might even look a little moldy. And he takes that beef jerky and looks at the steak and takes off a piece and starts chewing and just sort of smiles a little bit and just leaves the steak right there. And now I'm in shock and horror and dismay because that's an awesome piece of steak. I paid for it. I, I paid for that steak. And you're pulling old beef jerky out of your pocket? Really? Come on, Clay. You know, at a moment there, you know, I, I love my child. I love my child. I will admit, though, that I'm a little mad. I'm a little frustrated because he's not eating the steak that I paid for that's so juicy and Checking my lunchtime here soon. Okay. And he's going after that little piece of beef jerky. Really? Really? But you see, that's how God feels when he's paid the price with his son to give us a life that's incredible and indescribable. And we choose a life that's like that beef jerky. Old, smelly, disgusting. For some reason, we just pass on the stake and we pass on God. I'm sure God, as he says from heaven, looked in shock and dismay and horror that you would choose something else besides him. Let's pray. Worship team, come forward, please. Heavenly Father, you are truly the only God that we can worship, that we should worship. You are Father of all, mighty creator, faithful and loving. You're also just and holy. And you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth because we were so messed up making so many bad mistakes we were just digging a, a rotten hole. And then we're trying to drink out of a broken cistern, trying to find things that make us feel good. Instead of finding you for comfort, we go other places. Instead of finding you for hope, for joy, or truth, 
or security. We go other places. Go back to that broken cistern. Go back to those, those choices of chewing on beef jerky instead of the steak. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, who in their right mind would do that? That'd be us. Because we decided to make ourselves gods and do things our way and think that we're going to feel good about ourselves if other people feel good about us. Truth is, God, we need you. So thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to pay the price that we can pay. God, our sins is what brought this to where we are. So Lord, right now in this room, whatever it may be that we're facing that's going on in our hearts, there might be some kind of struggle with ourselves, with certain sins. We just need to ask for forgiveness. Instead of trying to do things our way and handle the situation, that's nothing but beef jerky. We need you. We need what you've placed before us. You've paid. And we need to humbly admit that that's what we need in our life, is you. God, it's real simple. You love us. You have a relentless love for us. But the sins in this world have separated us from you. And your son paid the price to bring us back to you. So now we just have to confess and trust. So Lord, right now, wherever we're sitting in this room, we confess our sins to you. And we ask you, God, to be the Lord of our life, to take your place in our hearts on the throne, to guide us, to lead us, to be our Lord. You are our Savior. You've saved us from sin. But Lord, we need you also to be our Lord, to lead us as we move forward. Thank you, God. Thank you so much for forgiving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for everybody that's in this room this morning. We get to hear the truth. Lord, help us to every day humbly come to you and say thank you. This morning, if you're in this room, please keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're in this room this morning and you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, you've never admitted your sins to a holy God, and this morning you have, Maybe this morning is a morning where you said, I, I want God to be not just my Savior, but my Lord. Maybe it's the first time. We're, we're happy for you. If you're in here this morning, again, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. If you're in here this morning and you just needed that, you needed a time of prayer and surrender, do not take this moment lightly. It was a holy moment with you and God. And give him praise. Would you please stand? As we close in this last song of worship, sometimes as a church family, we just need to come in and just sort of just sort of lay it out there and say, you know what? It's not about me. 
how I dress, what I drove, what my plans are for the day, who I hope to talk to, who, what I hope to accomplish. Sometimes we just got to stop and say, God, what, what do you want from me today? It's not about me. So as morning as we sing this last song, continue to worship God in your heart, your mind, your soul. Continue to talk to him as you sing. This is his day, not ours. And worship him. Worship him.